Philippians 4, verse 10. We are actually finishing our study of Philippians this morning. Yes, your pastor is finishing a book. Hey! Hey. Uh, Matthew, Matthew, remember him? He will be uh, our guide during Holy Week. So next week and the next week, Easter Sunday, uh, we'll be looking at Matthew and what he has to say about the final week of Jesus. And then we'll be spending nine weeks, I promise nine weeks, in the book of Proverbs. But this morning we set our eyes on Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 and following. This will be a vulnerable conclusion to what has been, I think, a very vulnerable letter. In fact, one of the most encouraging things about studying Philippians with you all is witnessing the openness of the Apostle Paul. So down the road from Philippi, in a town called Thessalonica, Paul says these words, he says to a letter to them, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. And this morning, Paul will continue to share not just the good news of Jesus, but he will also share his own life. And so let's just read together. I'll pray after we read. And we'll see what God has for us this morning. This is God's word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, to your account. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Jesus Christ. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray for a moment.
Lord, speak through your word, for your servants are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Adele Calhoun, she speaks about seasons of the soul. Spring is when your relationships with others and with God is marked often by growth and enthusiasm. Summer is marked by abundance and the ability to serve. Autumn, sort of a mixed season between summer and winter. Winter. Winter is when it feels like the well has run dry in your life, in your relationships, in your relationship with God, in your circumstances. I wonder if you are in a winter season right now where your soul, the terrain of your soul isn't like a loamy garden, but it's like a frozen tundra. Like your backyard right now. Do you feel distance from God? Are you longing for more? Do you feel up against a wall? Are you in trouble? Well, Calhoun says that the winter season that you are in, if that is you, has with it temptations, depression, fear of others knowing that your soul is tundra. Which, of course, then leads to pretense and bitterness and a fake super spirituality. Well, Paul, the apostle, he uses a very intense word to describe his season of life in this letter. And it's in verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. That word trouble. In the Greek, the word he uses is philipsis. Translated as Trouble in our Bibles, but in other translations it says present difficulty or distress or perhaps my favorite, not because of what it means, but because of what it conveys, affliction. Philipsis means affliction. So however you translate it, it is a winter word. It is a winter word, philipsis. Two quick things. First, speaking personally, it is encouraging that our Bible, that our God, that our faith acknowledges winter in the soul. I think Christians in our culture can be what I call two season believers. Spring and summer. So that when we encounter winter, we either press eject and we curse God or we pretend because we're afraid of doing that. But our Bibles 
and our God prepare us for winter. So I love that. Number two, though, and this is what I want to focus on this morning. Notice what Paul does in winter. In philipsis. In affliction. He acknowledges it. But winter does not have the final word. It does not. No, instead, Paul shares two life-giving resources in the midst of winter. And one is a mystery, and one he calls a secret. The mystery is community, and the secret is contentment. And we need both of these in every season of our soul, but we especially need both of these in winter. I want to say to you that these will be the most important things in your life right now if you are in a winter season. The mystery of community and the secret of contentment. And I want you to make the most of them. Okay, what are they? The mystery of community. Uh, the word that summarizes this mystery in our text is koinonia. Which means shared life. Or fellowship. I like shared life because when I hear the word fellowship, I just think of a bad lunch. <laughs> With other church members, which is beautiful, but it maybe is a reduction of what this word really means. It means shared life. Paul loves to remind us of koinonia. Paul loves to remind the churches in his letters of this mystery that we are somehow connected like parts of a body, or that we are somehow bricks in a building in which, get this, The Holy Spirit resides. God Himself. And we are connected. We are interwoven mysteriously. We have koinonia. We have shared life together. And we learn a few things about shared life in this text. This community. This mystery called community. First... Community shares concerns. Verse 10. Paul is comforted that there are people in his life who are concerned for him. Do you see it? This is an unbelievable resource that you have as a believer in Jesus. You have someone, you have a community that is concerned. Whenever a friend of ours, my wife Josie and I, who are not connected to a church community, when they get in trouble, when they are in trouble, Josie and I are always freshly reminded of how countercultural it is to have people in your life who are concerned and who share your concerns. Community shares concerns, but there's something else. Community shares needs. Look at verses 16 through 20. As you glance through that text with your eyes, you will notice that Paul's needs are met because the community shares their stuff with him. Paul actually says that the sharing of stuff 
is worship. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus, coolest name ever, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering. He's describing these gifts as a fragrant offering using Old Testament sacrifice language. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It is worshipful to share what you have with others in need. He also says in verse 17 that it's the way that Christians grow. God has designed the mystery of community to not only be an avenue through which we can share our needs, but also by sharing our needs, we grow in our faith. And we grow in our capacity to give more. That's why he says in verse 17, I don't seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I'm pleased that you have the opportunity to grow in what the Lord has for you by giving of yourself and your thanks. And then immediately my thought, and I'm sure your thought is, but what if in giving... I'm not provided for. Well, Paul says this is a mystery. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours. According to his riches. So a community shares needs. And shares concerns. But in verse 14 of our text, Paul ups the ante. Because it is possible to have a book club. It is possible to be in CrossFit and have the first two things I just mentioned. Someone who knows your trouble and someone who will help you out when you need it. But what makes the church different from CrossFit, there's a lot of things that are different, but one thing that makes it different is that we are actually sharing life together in a mysterious way. We are so connected. That we actually share in each other's affliction. That's verse 14. It was kind of you to share my affliction. To share my trouble. I recently read a story about an elderly man whose son died. And the author reminds you that it doesn't matter how old you are. Nobody wants to bury their own child. And this old man arrives early and and sees his grown son in the casket. And he crumbles. But gradually, his church community arrives and takes care of him beautifully. And it was as if his affliction, which was squarely on his shoulders, crushing him, was immediately divided and spread among his church family. This is the mystery of community. Thomas Merton says, this is an important quote, we learn to live by living together with others. We learn to live 
by living together with others. Dr. Richard Plass, he says, our permeable souls have the remarkable capacity to internalize the life of others. This is God's design. Every word in that quote is helpful to me. And I want to tell you why, just for a brief second. Dr. Plass says that our souls are permeable. We cannot build a force field, a wall around our souls. So whatever community you have ever been in, whether it's your family of origin or your church community today, you have internalized the lives of those people for better and most often for worse. Our souls are permeable. We are shaped by the lives of those in our life. Our souls internalize the life of others. All of you have been messed up by community. All of you. But the opposite can also be true. Many of you have been healed in community. Community, point is, is that powerful? And then he says, this is God's design, reminding us that God made us relational. God designed community because we are relational people. We are made in the image of the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And we are made in His image. So one of the main ways that God wants to grow His people in Christ is through healthy, Christ-saturated community. (laughs) Peace Cazero calls the process of healing in the church as being reparented. And if you are like Paul, and you are in trouble, you are in winter, you have present difficulties, you are up against a struggle, financial, spiritual, emotional, and you are tired of faking it, now is the time To lean in to community. Two easy steps. Share your trouble. One. Two. Receive help. If the Apostle Paul could do it, you can do it. If anybody had face to save, it would be the Apostle Paul. If anybody had understandable reasons to sort of hide from community, it would be Paul. But he models a different way. Why don't you? Why don't you? If you are in a winter season, I think the temptation will be to pretend, to hide, and to resent God and others. 
Instead, would you lean in by the power of the Holy Spirit? It is His will for you to lean into community. That's the mystery of community. Now, only we have spent the amount of time that we just did exploring the centrality of community can we explore the great secret of contentment in Christ? What is the secret of contentment that Paul draws from in his winter season? Three things. His contentment is in Christ. Number one. Verse 13 is the secret. I can do all things through Him, through Christ, who strengthens me. It is Jesus. So it's actually not a secret, is it? In fact, Paul is probably making fun of mystery religions that abounded in his day, where for a small fee, a small initiation, you could be told secrets about how life works. It's kind of like how um, conferences are today and how books are. Books present themselves like the mystery religions of old. If you buy my book and come to my conference and listen to my TED Talk, I will give you secrets to life. And Paul might be poking fun. I I love Paul because I don't think his sense of humor is very keen, just like mine. So I think he's making a joke and it's like way over our heads. Like most of my jokes. Paul says, you want a secret? I'll give you a secret. But it's not a secret. It's the ascended, victorious, all-sufficient, all-powerful, seen by everyone, risen Jesus, who sits next to His Father's throne in all power, in victory. He is my sufficiency. He is the secret of contentment, no matter your circumstances. And it's for all of you to see. You want contentment? Picture Jesus at God's right side in power right now. And then hear him say, You are mine. All I have is yours. Contentment is in Christ. And because contentment is in Christ, number two, contentment is circumstance conquering. Listen to what Don Whitney writes. He says, Paul models and advocates a circumstance conquering contentment. Love that language. Circumstance conquering contentment that does not depend on how much there is to eat, spend, wear, count, collect, fill in the blank. Paul says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and how to be, how to abound. I know in any and every circumstance, my contentment in Christ doesn't change. Contentment is in Christ, therefore it is circumstance conquering. But third, notice what he says Not just once, but twice about contentment. In verse 11 and verse 12. 
he learned this open secret. He learned it. This means that to be content is something that cannot be learned from books or by technique. This is not a theory, but an experience, listen, of weakness met by the power and sufficiency of Jesus. It is not a theory. It is an experience of weakness, of personal weakness coming to your loss and to your limits and experiencing in that place of desperate trouble the sufficiency and the power of Jesus. It's a learned contentment that cannot Hear me, it cannot simply be believed in the head. It's experienced in life. And it's given to his children. As it's been said, we don't really know Jesus is all we need until he is all we have. I have a mentor, a hero. We've been talking about heroes in Philippians. And his name is Ken. And he met Jesus by running away from home and hitchhiking across Europe. And he happened across a strange but inviting chalet called Labri, which means the shelter. Literally happened upon it. And when he entered in, he encountered what we call the welcome of Jesus. And ever since, he has been living for Jesus in ways that inspire me. Well, when I first visited his farmhouse, I expected a massive library of books. Instead, I saw a small little shelf, about a quarter full of books. And I said, I said, Ken, where, where's your library? And he looked at me with a knowing smile and a hard-won smile, an aged smile. And he said, one of the hardest things that ever happened to me, when it was happening, was when a flood took my books away. But, he says, it taught me that all I need is Christ. That's a learned contentment. We need to make two lists. List A and list B. List A, write down all your needs. Not your wants, your needs. List B, write down the name Jesus. And then we need to, by faith, trust that all we really need is list B. Are you in winter? Two resources for you. The mystery of community. The secret of contentment. And these two things will simplify you. These two things will support you. These two things will point you to Jesus. And these two things will ready you for a new season. Every day I drive by Wallace Gardens in Grandview. Which is a community garden. And right now the field looks fallow. It does look like tundra. 
But I like to imagine that garden overflowing. And it's a beautiful overflowing because the people who tend that garden have to pay for their plot. So they really take care of it. And it's this beautiful, abounding garden. Friends, if you are in Christ and in winter at the same time, which is very possible, that is you. You are Wallace Gardens. You are in a story that is not over. And we know because of resurrection hope. We know because of Jesus who is resurrected in body. We know that your story does not end in winter. And God loves to give us resurrection glimpses in our own life. And so it may just be that winter might be concluding in your lifetime for a season. But in the meantime, you're in winter. Learn community and contentment in Christ. And when we do, it is a beautiful thing. I would argue that being in winter is the richest season to learn these two things. And we can sing with Paul, verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember, Paul is in prison and he could write that phrase. And so can you. So can you. Let's do it together in verse, let's just read verse 20 together out loud. To our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we do pray that you would give us a song in the winter like that. And that through community, which you've designed us for, and through learned contentment, we would encounter you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.